Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, climbing the ladder with you today on this fourth Sunday of the Great Fast, the Sunday of St. John Climacus, and his name means ladder or ascent, climber, because he wrote a wonderful treatise on spirituality, on spiritual growth, which has to do with asceticism, you know, the dying to self and the rising to the virtues, which of course is what Lent is all about, the great fast is all about. And this became known as the Ladder of Divine Ascent. And he became known then as St. John Climacus, a monk, an ascetic. Next Sunday, we will look at a female ascetic, St. Mary of Egypt. And in between, we're going to do something very ascetical. We're going to be praying the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete with all those many, many prostrations. A service that takes us through the scripture. I mean, really takes us through the scripture. Many, many verses. Verses that have to do with any kind of repentance, or sin, redemption. I'm talking about from front to cover of the Bible. It's an amazing gem and jewel of the Byzantine church. And during the first week of Lent, as you may recall, if you've been listening to our program, we do this prayer of St. Andrew Crete, this canon, in sections. We kind of break it up. But on this fifth week of Lent coming up, we do it in its entirety. And along with that, we read the wonderful, marvelous, dramatic story of St. Mary of Egypt. Boy, it would make a great movie. And you wouldn't need very many characters, just a couple. But boy, it has a lot of drama to it, a lot of beautiful dynamics to it, human dynamics, spiritual dynamics. The story of how the priest Zosimus encounters St. Mary of Egypt in the desert and brings her the Eucharist. It's a beautiful, dramatic story. And we read that right in the midst of the canon of St. Andrew Crete. We actually pause, take a break, and we read that story. In fact, we do it in two parts because it's fairly lengthy. It's almost like watching a full-length movie. And it's read by the cantor, and then we resume our prayer of the St. Andrew of Crete with the accompanying prostrations. It's a, it's a, an amazing, amazing and unique dimension of the Lenten practice in the Byzantine Church. And earlier in Lent, and just before Lent, we actually had the Saturday dedicated to the all-holy ascetics. So obviously, as you can hear, <laughs> and if you've been with us during Lent, if you're walking this journey of the Great Fast, and especially in the Eastern Lung of the Church, you know that we emphasize before and throughout Lent the ascetical disciplines, the asceticism, and those who embraced that with their whole life, meaning basically monastics. Asceticism, of course, means that stripping of the old self, stripping of the false self, the dying to self through disciplines of abstinence, of saying no to our passions, the fallen side of our passions, 
and rising to our truer self, our brighter self, our more authentic, more human self. That's the whole point of it. A negative always has a positive with it in spirituality. It's never just one or the other. It's always both and. And so we practice and we admire and put before our eyes as an inspiration these ascetics. And today and next Sunday, we put two very well-known ones in front of us. Today, St. John Climacus, St. John of the Ladder of Divine Ascent, and next week, St. Mary of Egypt. And in between, the canon of St. Andrew of Crete. So lots of ascetics, a lot of asceticism. Hopefully you're doing well in that. And speaking of monasticism and asceticism, on this program, and it's very humbling for me to realize, and I'm very thankful to Almighty God, I never would have imagined it, this program has been its own outreach to those who are serving prison, who are in cells, living in cells. And I'm uniting those two things together because many people who are serving time in prison. I remember in Matthew's Gospel, part of the criterion for our salvation is to visit those in prison, as well as comforting the sick and feeding the hungry. And so we're able to reach out to those in prison in accordance with Matthew's Gospel, in accordance with the whole purpose of our asceticism of Lent, and that is to become people of greater love and charity. So we reach out to those who are in prison who really have turned, many of them have turned their prison time into their own form of monasticism. In fact, we have a letter once again from one of our friends serving prison in South Carolina. His name is David. And David tells me in his letter about how he was considering, he came very close to becoming tonsured. Tonsured is where they cut your piece of your lock of your hair as a symbol of being cut away and being consecrated in a manner of speaking, consecrated to the monastic life. And this is done usually, by, of course, by a bishop. And David came very close to doing that in prison. However, he had another friend in prison who, in fact, did take on the monastic tonsure. He became a monk in prison as he was serving in his cell, his penance for his sins. He was also becoming, in his cell, a monk. And monks would live in cells. That's what monasticism actually means, mono, monastic. In other words, standing alone, a single cell, because that's what monks would do. They would live in a cell in a solitary way, but they would come together in communal prayer and meals, unless, of course, you were a hermit. But even then, you were never totally isolated. There's no such thing as just being totally by yourself, not even in the strictest sense of Byzantine hermit monasticism. And David sent to me a greeting card, which has a reproduction of an icon that was painted by his friend, who was also serving time, who became a monk in prison, and his name is Monk Anthony. And David asks for our prayers for Monk Anthony, as well as for himself, which we, of course, offer. But Monk Anthony painted this very nice icon. He took up iconography, and he painted this very nice icon of the resurrection of Christ. So we already have our icon for us here at Lay of the East in anticipation of the end of Lent and, of course, Great Week culminating in the resurrection. So thank you, David, for your letter and for this icon from your friend, the now monk Anthony. It's interesting how a time in prison even can be turned into a time of monasticism. In fact, there's a, there's a piece in me that almost, I'll use a term and I use it in quotes, <laughs> almost envies someone in prison. Not that I want to be in prison, of course, and prison is not a good place to be. However, there's a piece of it that I do kind of envy, and I mean in a good way. I, that's why I put the word envy in quotes. And I think every priest does, because one of the things that we long for is people who have been called to a special vocation, to the priesthood, or even those who are called in other ways, such as monastics. We do long for more of that singular time with God. And it seems to 
it seems to be stolen from us oftentimes. Sometimes it's our own fault. We have to make more time. We have to go into our cells and be with God. That should be our own personal discipline. We need more of that. But oftentimes we're on our way into the cell and we get interrupted by the needs of those whom we serve. And sometimes we just long to just be in that cell with our Lord in prayer and in intimacy. We can read, we can study, we can feed our souls, which I said we ought to be doing more anyway as priests. And, and a lot of it's our own fault. We kind of allow these interruptions to happen. But at the same time, a lot of it is because we do have to respond to the needs. And these needs are unpredictable. And your life is dedicated to serving people. I often think of Christ, the times that he would the times that he would want to get away or even call the apostles to go and get away with him. Remember, he said, let us go to a place and rest a while and just be. Because naturally, <laughs> you can imagine how many people were clamoring to touch Christ, to be healed. In fact, whenever he would go away, they would come running after him and seek him out. But he wouldn't run away from them. He would serve them, just like we priests do. But like Jesus, and I think all priests and those called religious life, We do long for more of those moments in the cell. And so those of you who are serving time, I commend you for turning your time into your own form of monasticism. And those of you who may be listening, consider doing that in some way or some form. Maybe you're not going to be a full-blown monastic, but look at your cell in another way. Look at it as also the cell of a monastic and feed your soul. Come closer to Christ. Now, I mentioned that We all long to have that solitude, at least more of it, especially if you're called to serve God because you want to be close to God. That's why you answered the call. God called us to be close to him so we can serve his people. But we also need community. We need to share the joy. And I want to share some joy with you. I want to show you the joy of the blessings I received first as a seminarian and certainly as a priest. Those joys I experienced in Rome and also other places that related to church and church history. I want to share those moments with you. I want to share those places with you. I want you to come along with me on my pilgrimage, October 21st to the 30th. That's Tuesday through Thursday, October 21st through the 30th of this year, 2014. It's the Light of the East Ecumenical Pilgrimage. We're going to celebrate the sainthood of Pope John the 23rd and also Pope John Paul II. We're going to go to the two centers, the main centers of the two lungs of the church, as John Paul II said, Rome and Istanbul, which will always be known to me as Constantinople. In fact, in one of our brochures, we call it Rome and Constantinople. Constantinople, of course, is modern-day Istanbul, Turkey, but originally it was Constantinople, which became a great, great Christian center in the East. And before that, it was Byzantium. Emperor Constantine, so impressed with Byzantium, relocated the center of the Roman Empire to this town of Byzantium, this wonderful city, and he renamed it Constantinople. And then he became Christian, and from that developed a magnificent Byzantine church tradition. And that's why it's always known to me as Constantinople, but it's modern-day Istanbul. So I really would like to share joy with you, the blessings that I was given. Remember, joy is meant to be shared. It's really not joy unless it is shared. I want to share it with you. So mark your calendars and come on this trip, October 21st through the 30th, Tuesday through Thursday. For information, to sign up, and places are going fast, so sign up, vikingtvl.com. And TV is just like TV, television, TV. vikingtvl.com, vikingtvl.com for our Orientali Lumen, our Light of the East Ecumenical Pilgrimage. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion 
and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, and I invite you to join me on the Light of the East pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul to celebrate the canonization of Popes John Paul II and John XXIII. In addition to celebrating the sainthood of two world-renowned popes, this trip will be a powerfully moving and truly unforgettable experience of the Church breathing with both lungs east and west. We will visit major religious and historical sites of the ancient Roman and Byzantine empires, and you will hear from people who actually knew these two saintly popes. I guarantee you will never see the Church a saint way again, and you will be making your personal contribution toward the cause in which these two popes were committed, unity in the church between East and West. Join Father Loya Tuesday through Thursday, October 21st through October 30th for this spiritual event of a lifetime, the pilgrimage to Rome and Istanbul. Limited spaces, reserve early by going to vikingtvl.com. That's vikingtvl.com for all the details. October 21st through the 30th, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And since this is a radio program that brings you the Eastern churches, the riches of the church, East and West, primarily Eastern churches, and if you've listened to us for any length of time, you'll remember that I always emphasize that it's pretty much impossible to separate the Eastern churches from their cultural context. And we have to do that in some respects, but at the same time, it's not entirely possible. So to talk about the Eastern churches is also to talk about oftentimes their culture, their history, geopolitical situations, and the Eastern Catholic churches today are at the exact epicenter of some of the most significant global situations in the world today, such as in the Middle East, Iraq, and Syria, and now, of course, before eyes most recently, Ukraine. Bishop Boris Gudziak sent a letter, a notice out recently, about some happenings that you probably won't hear about anywhere else except here in light of the East. It's about what's happening to some of the Ukrainian priests in Crimea as the Russians have taken over under Vladimir Putin. One of these stories is this, and it's titled, Greek Catholic Priests Abducted by Pro-Russian Armed Forces in Crimea. This abduction occurred on Saturday, March 15th. A priest named Father Mikola Kavik, a Ukrainian Greek Catholic priest, and Greek Catholic, of course, means, for our purposes, Byzantine Catholic or Eastern Catholic. He was abducted directly from the Ukrainian Greek Catholic parish of the Dormition of the Mother of God. He was seized by two men in uniform or four men in civilian clothing. Now, he's a young chaplain for the Ukrainian Navy. He was taken to an undisclosed location where he is going to be held captive. And a pressure who called Father Kavik's cellular phone 
heard abusive language on the line directed at the priest before the call was cut short. Sources do confirm that Father Kavik is still alive. Now here to me is one of the most interesting points in this letter by Bishop Gudziak. And by the way, Bishop Boris Gudziak, who I know is a friend of mine, I had the pleasure of meeting him. He was the head of the Ukrainian Catholic University, which we have featured here on Light of the East a number of times. He's now the head of the Department of External Church Relations of the Ukrainian Catholic Church. He's the bishop for the Eparchy of St. Vladimir in Paris, also for Catholics in France, Eastern Catholics in France, Belgium, Netherlands, Luxembourg, and Switzerland. And in this message, he said this, that earlier this week, at the direction of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic hierarchy, Father Kovic and other Greek Catholic priests in Crimea evacuated their wives and children to mainland Ukraine. The priests themselves returned to their parishes to be with their faithful in a time of crisis and moral and physical danger. Isn't that amazing? Many times people ask me about this, the whole situation of a priest being married and having a family. And here you have a very poignant example of what married priests can encounter and of their valor and witness. Now, I just want to note something here that when we talk about a married priest in the Eastern churches, it means, you have to say it correctly, it means that a married man can become a priest. In other words, you have to be married first. Priests do not marry. Once you're a priest, whether east or west, in the whole history of the church, once you're a priest, you cannot be married. You have to flip it around. You're married first, and you can become a priest in many areas of the Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches. So we have to get that straight. Once again, I'll I'll mention what happened. The Ukrainian Greek Catholic hierarchy told the Byzantine Catholic priests in Crimea to take their wives and children further into mainland Ukraine, which hopefully will remain safe, but one never knows the way things are going. But the priests themselves returned to their parishes to be with their faithful in a time of crisis and moral and physical danger. Now, there's other items in this letter that point to the chilling possibility, the echo of once was under communism. In fact, there's implications of the church, the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church in the Crimean area, once again being seen as illegal or oppressed or suppressed. It hasn't quite totally happened yet. We got the first shots over the bow when they seized this Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic priest, abducted him. And I'm asked oftentimes about this whole situation with married priests. And again, you can see in this example that in a sense, they have to embrace that spousal mystery on two levels. They don't have two wives. A lot of people think, well, it's like being married twice. I have a hard time understanding, well, how can a priest be married and and mystically married to the church? Does he have two wives? No, he doesn't have two wives. He's experiencing marriage on both levels, the sacramental level by being sacramentally married to a woman, but also on the eschatological level. And sometimes he has to choose between the two. And in the end, the choice is on the eschatological level, as you can see in this situation. He did tend to his family, his wife and children, yes, to protect them as a good father. But he also had to go and be about the business that has to do with his calling as the bridegroom of the church. Now, if that might sound strange or troubling, it's not that strange when you think of other walks of life. How many times are we seeing the story of soldiers who are married, have families, and we're seeing these very heartwarming scenes when they return from their duty in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever, and they come and they surprise their wives or their children at school or somewhere else. We're seeing that in the news quite a bit, very heartwarming, touching stories. So, 
the soldier has to make sure his family is safe back home and he goes off to do his duty. Sometimes it is war. Sometimes it's just to serve his time in the military as is required of him. Physicians on call have to leave their families aside for a while. There are a number of walks of life that where the father and sometimes even the mother have to leave the family aside to go to be about the business of something that serves humanity in a broader way and in a very special way. So this idea of having to choose to honor, answer a call, in addition to the call of being sacramentally married, is not so unusual. It is very noble and is certainly is part of the life of a married Eastern Catholic or Eastern Orthodox priest. I know this from my own experience, not because I myself am a married priest, of course, I am celibate, but I come from a long line of married priests on both sides of my family. And growing up, knowing my grandfather and my grandfather's brother, who was a married priest with many children, and my great-grandfather, and knowing stories about him, and all of the circle of friends that my family had that were many times largely marry other married priest families. I know from this experience, I got a very good glimpse into that, although I don't live a married priesthood myself, other than mystically, of course. But I could see where the balance would have to be struck many times. The choice would have to be made. But it was not always an either-or choice. In other words, when this family of this priest that we just heard about in Ukraine when they are tucked away in the safety of the country and their priest father or priest husband goes off to tend to his other family, his spiritual family, they know that he is thinking of them. They're connected with him. He intends and hopes to return. Hopefully he will. Maybe he won't, but probably he will. And there was a sense of the family realizing, well, that's part of what dad or my husband's calling is. And we share in that, not grudgingly. We share in the reality of it. And although that can be difficult, and you can talk to any family of a married priest, the children, the priest himself, or the wife, yes, it can be difficult, especially when that choice has to be made from time to time by their priest father or priest husband. At the same time, the blessing of that is in a couple ways. First of all, the priest and his family learn how to be intimate and close in other ways, especially through prayer and by honoring that special vocation of their father or husband as a priest. But also, they're given the gift of a very tangible, palpable reminder of the one thing that we can never take out of the priesthood, of the church, or our spiritual lives. And that is the eschatological reality. I know that's a big word, but what that means is the eschaton. In other words, that which points to, reminds us, connects us with our ultimate destiny in heaven, where our ultimate spouse is Christ the bridegroom, where we will all be married, not exclusively just to one person, but altogether as one bride in Christ. And this is why in the Eastern churches, we often say about marriage, we say, not till death do you part, but rather till death unite you forever, but not in an exclusive way. So yes, it does, death does part you in an exclusive way as you knew marriage on earth sacramentally, but it doesn't part you in fact, it unites you in a mystical way, in an eschatological way, where we become married not just to one another, but to all, to each other as one bride of the bridegroom Christ. And if that seems strange to you, or kind of awesome or hard to understand, if you are a practicing Catholic or Orthodox Christian and you receive Eucharist, you are experiencing that on earth. That's right. It is 
that experience of the eschaton on earth, the closest we can get to it, when we receive the body and blood of Christ, we all become one. All the individual exclusive barriers break away and we fuse into one while still not losing our own individual identities. It's a great mystery, I know, hard to understand, but it's a beautiful mystery. And it's that mystery that the priesthood itself, and even in special ways, the married priesthood points to. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W I L L C O O K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God. And may God bless you and grant you many happy years.